Thank you, Brother Vince. First Corinthians is where we will be. We're going to start in chapter 3 and work uh, all the way from verse 1 to verse 4. Like I said, last week uh, we were on vacation. We went up to the Eagle's Nest, Red River, Angel Fire area. We went to First Baptist Angel Fire. And uh, in all, we call it irony, we call it providence, however you want to look at it. I'm going to call it providence. Uh, their pastor was preaching through the book of First Corinthians. And so uh, I have got my sermon for First Corinthians 6 done. I just recorded him. We'll hit play. Uh, it was great. Uh, it's a good little healthy church up there. If you're ever up in that way on a Sunday, I'd encourage you to, to check it out. Uh, it was refreshing for us. It was fun to get to sit with my kids and, and wrestle them and watch them squirm. And uh, I taught Addie how to listen to a sermon, so you should be ready, right? <laughs> One of the things for our family is we've always gone up to the Red River area. That's kind of our spot when we go on vacation. We like going up. I tell Morgan, I have a body built for the mountains. The beach doesn't suit me. There's sand and sweat at the beach. I want to go to the mountains where there's altitude and coolness and trees. Thank you, Linda. Uh, that's right. That's right. We'll do the altar call now. We'll be done. No. Uh, one of the, It's a joy. We go there all the time. We've gone for a long time. Our kids have all been up there multiple times. But one of the things, we have this, there's this bridge at Red River. We always have to take a picture at this bridge. It's super annoying, but I just know that's where we have to stop. We're going to have to do multiple days of taking pictures at this bridge to get the picture that Morgan wants every time. I don't think we got a picture at We took a picture at the bridge, but it, she hasn't shared it, so it must not have been good. <laughs> but one of the things with this bridge that's kind of happened over the years is I look at it and I can see uh, myself growing. I can see my kids growing. I can see Morgan and I kind of growing together. I, I grew out. My kids are growing up. That there's this physical growth that's taking place and kind of this, this one spot doesn't change, but, but me and my family certainly have and we've kind of grown numerically. We've grown. So I mean, everything has grown for us. When we get to this passage in 1 Corinthians, what's so interesting and so unique that Paul's doing here is he's talking about growth, but he's not talking about physical growth. What we see the Apostle Paul do is now he's kind of going to hammer down on the Corinthians just a little bit more. He's going to turn the heat up on them just a little bit more. He's going to say, like, I, when I came and visited you the first time, you, you weren't mature, and now you're still not mature in the faith. You haven't grown. You haven't done what your life is supposed to be doing. And so let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. We'll pray, and then we will walk through this like we always do. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready, because you're still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for texts like this one. These transition texts in this, this Bible, this book that you've given us in this letter to the Corinthians. That reminds us, Father, that, that these issues that Paul is bringing up are, are issues that touch our heart just as much as they do the Corinthians. 
that the truths that you have for us here don't fade away. God, that spiritual growth is vital and it is important in our life and it is a gospel issue. Pray that you would challenge us this morning. That you would encourage our hearts where we need encouragement. That you would convict us where we need conviction and that you would help us to grow in you this morning, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So just a, a quick catch-up on the book of, of Corinthians. Alex, I didn't get to listen to his sermon. Our, our stuff wasn't working last week, but I've heard he did a phenomenal job. When I, when I texted him, I was like, hey, this is what I'm doing. You can do whatever. He's like, I'll just keep going in Corinthians. And I was like, I think that's a great idea. It's a good to hear multiple voices proclaim the same message. And so uh, preaching on spiritual wisdom, which is what Paul talked about last week, being in the spirit, not of the world. Uh, we've seen as we've walked through it that Paul started off his letter by talking about unity within the church. And what we'll see is that's the main kind of point of the book of 1 Corinthians is church unity. Everything else is pointing to this one issue that's taking place. And then it kind of feels like Paul takes some some rabbit trails off where he talks about divisions, right? That's, that's dealing with unity. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Uh, and he talks about the power of God being wrapped up in the cross of Jesus Christ, that the wisdom of God is, is foolishness to the world, but, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God that we boast in Christ alone. And then Paul gets to this section that we're in right here. So verse 1 says this. Let's reread it. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. The way that Paul works the verbs there, the way that Paul is saying these things is is the tendency, and I think it's true of us and it's true of the Corinthians, is when we're called out like that, when people are called out like that, we tend to, especially if we're in a group, say, well, what Paul's talking about is he's talking about this certain group over here, not the group that I'm involved in. My group, we're good, we're clean. That group, woo, they need the help. So that's who Paul, but the way Paul has arranged the verbs is we can't do that. What Paul is saying is FBC Corinth, Corinth Baptist Church, whatever they went by, it was Baptist. We know that for certain. You all, the entire church, everybody who's a member of this church, you all is who Paul is talking about. Y'all, not certain groups, not the followers of Paulos, not the followers of Paul, not the followers of Cephas, the whole church body as one is who Paul is addressing. What he says is, is, is this is who you were, right? He said, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in, in Christ. This is important. We know Paul planted this church, and when Paul planted this church, he stayed for about 18 months proclaiming the gospel to them, discipling them, raising up pastors from within their church, raising up deacons so that he could leave and they could be a self-sustaining church. And so he's saying, when I was there, when I planted the church, you were new believers, you were young Christians. I couldn't preach to you, I couldn't teach to you the things because you were still very worldly in your sanctification. You were babies in Christ. It's interesting what Paul says, right? He says, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, which we just saw in the previous section. It means believers, where the Spirit's dwelling within us. I had to speak to you as people of the flesh, people of the world. That's unbelievers. But then he calls them babies in Christ, meaning that they're Christians. So they're new believers. They're young Christians that have just come to the faith. They just haven't matured in the faith. 
it's not, so, some people will take this text and will say, so you have different categories of Christians. You have unbelievers, and you have people who are saved, and then there's like this staggering tier system to Christianity. That's not the way the gospel works. At the moment of salvation, when we are saved by Jesus Christ, we are justified in the eyes of God. That means we are counted legally in God's court as saved believers who Jesus Christ died for. That moment, that instant of belief. We see that with the thief on the cross. What did that guy do? Nothing but believe in Jesus. And Jesus says, today you'll be with... So, so the moment we're saved, we're justified by Jesus. Justified means to be made holy. To be counted as holy. That, that Christ imputes his righteousness to us. That he takes our debt. That he pays for it. That moment, that second that we believe in Jesus Christ, we're justified in God. The rest of our life is called sanctification. Which means... To be made holy. It means the same thing. Justified is to be made holy, and it's that instant, and sanctification is to be made holy, but it's this process that the Lord sends us through in our lives. It's being made holy. It's maturing in the Lord. It's understanding the Bible more and more. It's growing in our faith. We can believe the, the simplicity of the gospel, but the beauty of the Bible and the beauty of our God is we can never delve to the depths of who he is. One of my favorite facts about heaven is if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we will get to heaven and we will spend an eternity. Do you know how long an eternity is? Just a little longer than one of my sermons. Not much, but a little bit. Never ends. We sing this 10,000 years to 10,000 plus 10,000 plus. It never ends. We will spend an eternity trying to learn about the God of the Bible, the God that we believe in, and we will never delve to the depths of who he fully is. So we have growth that we do. And so what Paul is telling this church in verse 1 is he says, you were saved, but you were immature. You needed to grow up. You needed to, to grow, just like babies grow to toddlers, and then toddlers grow to children, and then children hit teenagers. Some kids flip that order a little bit. Then you get to adulthood. Some adults flip that order a little bit. You need to grow up. Paul's saying, when I left you, you were babies in Christ. Look at verse 2. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready. So what Paul is saying is who you were is you were saved and you were immature. You were young believers in Jesus Christ. You had been justified, saved by Christ. But you had not been sanctified fully. You hadn't been discipled. You hadn't been growing in your faith in Jesus. And now, years later, years down the road, when we would expect these Christians, right, babies in Christ, these believers in Jesus, to have grown in their faith, what Paul tells us is, man, I gave you milk to drink back then, and you're still on milk now. Babies are born without teeth. Don't know if you know this. This was a fact to me I learned a few years ago. They drink milk. And they drink milk until you can give them food that you slowly start working towards so that they can grow up, that they can eat solid food. The image that Paul's giving us is, is of like a young adult, like a 30-year-old drinking a bottle because they haven't figured out how to eat yet. Paul's saying you're not growing like you're supposed to grow. See, see we, we have this, it's a giant ruler at our house. It goes up to like, I don't know, seven foot, seven and a half feet. None of our kids will be that tall, I hope. But uh, 
we were given it as a gift, and so every year on our kids' birthdays, except for Bryn's, we forgot to mark her this year, remind me, we mark their height. And it's, it's moved houses with us, it's stayed with us, and so we can look at that and we can see these are all the marks of where our kids have grown physically. Now, I tell them all the time, we have a joke, I say, I've told you to stop growing and you just will not obey me, and so now you're in trouble that you just keep growing up in your height. It's a joke in our house because we can't control physical growth like that, right? We can control some physical growth, but not some physical growth. Spiritual growth is not like that. Spiritual growth is not something that we can just sit passively by and expect to continue to grow. Spiritual growth is something that we must invest in. It does not simply just happen to us like growing in height and age does. We can say we've been a believer for 20 years, but that doesn't mean that we've spiritually grown in the Lord 20 years worth. That's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, you were saved and you were immature, and now I'm hearing these reports about you years later where you're supposed to have grown, you're supposed to have matured. You don't need to be on the bottle anymore. You need to be eating at least hamburger helper, but maybe you can get a taste of a steak or something. He's saying you're not there. You still haven't grown. You're still immature, but you're still saved. They haven't lost their salvation. See where it kind of feels like it's a little bit of a rabbit trail from how Paul started? He started with unity in the church. This is the main issue, and we're going to delve into all of this. And he talks about how you have all of these teachers, and some of you favor certain other Sunday school teachers over these Sunday school teachers, and that's not what the Lord has. They're all orthodox teachers, Apollos, Paul, Cephas, Christ, all orthodox teachers that were preaching the gospel. But you had made divisions, you'd made factions over who these teachers were. And so he walks through the power of the cross, not of human wisdom. He walks through what spiritual wisdom looks like. And now we get to this section. He's talking about eating food and not eating milk. And it just seems like Paul's taking kind of a rabbit trail. But that's not what he's doing. He's tying all of this back together. Look at verse 3. Because you're still worldly. Let me read the first part of verse 2. In fact, you are still not ready in reference to spiritual food. Solid food. You're still not ready because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, you are not worldly and behave. Are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? You see what Paul's doing? As he's telling these people, this goes back to church unity. You're acting like the world. You're, you're a believer, right? You, you were saved a long time ago when we first went. God saved you. And, and you were immature. The expectation was that you would grow. You didn't grow, so you're still saved, but you're, you're still immature. And so the reason why is because you're acting like you're unsaved. You're acting like the world. You're acting like the flesh. You're acting like those around you who have no hope in Jesus Christ. This is an interesting passage because as we continue to walk through 1 Corinthians, what we'll see is Paul's going to bring up specific examples of how they're exactly acting like the world, like those around them. And one example that he'll bring up, which we'll talk about church discipline when it gets there because it's in Corinthians that, that Paul does it, is a sin that they're condoning, that they're supporting, that the world rejects. The world's going, You're, that's, you need to stop that. Paul says you're, believe, you're behaving like mere Humans. I 
one of the things that's been helpful for me lately as I come across people and I think through people is to understand that our souls are eternal. That every human being we come across is made in the image of God. And if made in the image of God, though we will all physically die or Jesus will come back, our souls will live on and we will be eternal. And if the resurrection will be physically, bodily uh, resurrected from the grave. Which means you and I are more than just physically walking around the world. Our flesh belongs to more than just here. That this is where the Lord has placed us. And we can be grateful that God has placed us in Ira. He could have placed us anywhere. He could have put us in Hermley. He put us in Ira. Praise the Lord. But he's put us here not to look and act like the worldly Ira people look and act. But to be a gospel light for them. To show them the better way of Christ. Not just to act like mere humans who say, I'm saved by Jesus so I can do whatever I want because I know that grace is going to cover that. And Paul talks about that in Romans, and he says some strong words about how that's wrong. So you were saved. You are saved and immature. You act like you're unsaved and you're uh, immature. And just so that they understand that Paul knows what he's talking about and he has the specific, like, points in his mind. Look at verse 4. He names an example. For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? We saw way back in in verse 1, sorry, chapter 1, verse 11, there's this report from Chloe's people that gets to Paul. And Chloe's report is everybody has their favorite Sunday school teacher and they think if you have a different Sunday school teacher that you like, then then you're in sin and there's this fighting that's going on. That's where we got some say I follow Paul, some say I follow Cephas, some say I follow Apollo, some say that I follow Christ. Well, well here Peter, uh, Paul just mentions Apollos and, and himself, Paul, which means that these two are kind of the main two groups that were the factions that had formed within the church and that were fighting And Paul is using this to point out how they're still acting worldly. They're still acting like they're unsaved. We don't know much about Apollos other than he was a pretty good speaker. But I think it's interesting. Paul could have said, some of you say you follow Peter and some of you say you follow, and and left himself out, but he doesn't. He intentionally brings himself up. He views himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says so at the very beginning of this very letter. He understands his role. He understands what the Lord has given him and his responsibility to do these things. Yet at the exact same time, he says, if your church is built on me, it's division and it will fail because it's not built on Christ. When one group says, I belong to Paul, and another group says, I belong to Apollos, and you begin fighting each other based on who likes those sermons better or not, there's an issue that develops within the church. It's not the preaching that Paul does that saves. It's not the preaching of Apollos that saves. It's the word of the cross, which is foolish to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. It's the message. It's the content of the sermon. 
what Paul's telling us, what he's telling the Corinthians, is unity is a gospel issue for the church. That it's not something secondary that we can kind of cast aside and hope that it gets ironed out later. It's something that must be brought to the forefront. Because when we argue, when we fight, when we gossip, when we have envy and strife amongst one another, those sins fester underneath. They'll rupture relationships. Instead of loving your brother and sister, they'll cause you to dislike your brother and sister. Instead of praying for your brother and sister, they'll cause you to neglect your brother and sister. It's a gospel issue. The same God that saved you saved the Christians next to you. The same God that claims you as a child has saved the other Christians next to you as children. You gain brothers and sisters in Christ when you become a follower of Jesus. And if we have God as our Father, and we forgiveness is a huge deal for the gospel, amen? We have a lot of sin that we can harbor and that we can bear, and forgiveness is a big issue of the gospel, but forgiveness is not just vertical, it goes horizontally as well. If we claim to be Christians, but we cannot forgive one another, if we cannot cast aside secondary, trivial issues and powers, that disunity tells the world that we believe in a God who's not powerful enough to actually change our hearts. But if somehow a hodgepodge group of people can gather together in Ira every Sunday, and somehow this hodgepodge group of people can get along and genuinely enjoy each other's presence, can pray for one another, can grow with one another, can speak truth to one another, truth in love, then maybe this God that they worship is real. That this gospel that they proclaim is powerful. Brothers and sisters, spiritual growth does not just happen. I've, I've heard a, a number of, of preachers say this, and I think it's true to an extent, but there's some caveats to it. What they say is healthy things grow. That's, that's true, right? Healthy things do grow. But there's some things we need to clarify. This growth is more than numbers. Our goal has never been let's just Get as big of a group together as we can. It's spiritual growth. It's growth in the knowledge of who Jesus is. We are called as believers in Jesus Christ to have a knowledge of God. I had a professor who used to say, just because the tomb was empty doesn't mean your head needs to be. We've been given this revelation from God. We've been given his word. We're supposed to study it and we're supposed to grow in it. And the knowledge of God is a good thing. But that knowledge must not stay in our head. It must seep into our hearts. But let's also be warned, not everything that grows is healthy. Cancer grows. Cancer is this multiplication of cells to where it becomes an issue, becomes tumors, becomes things that can kill you. That's not healthy. Cancer must be addressed. Because if cancer is growing within the church, there's disunity, and cancer can kill. That's what Paul is telling us. What he's telling the Corinthians when we look at this passage and we see these things is that If we're believers in Jesus Christ, we were saved, and at one point we were babies in Jesus, we were infants. You can be 
110 years old and just become a believer in Jesus and you're an infant in Christ. Your physical age has nothing to do with your, your spiritual maturity. But Paul's also saying you can't just stay there. Salvation is not the finish line. It's the starting line. It's the place where we begin our walk with Jesus Christ and we continue to grow in him through our lifetime. Justification is the starting line. Sanctification is what carries us through to the end. And then when we die, there's glorification where we spend eternity with the Lord glorifying him. But how we act, how we behave, tells more than what our words do. We must proclaim the gospel with our voice, with our words. That is a commandment from Scripture. However, we must act like we believe the gospel too. And the easiest way to act like you believe the gospel is to believe the gospel. It is extremely difficult to act like you believe the gospel and not actually believe in Jesus. Happens all the time happens in our part of the world all of the time. If you want to share the gospel with somebody in Scurry County, what I've learned, the best way to have an introduction is not to say, are you a Christian, but to say, well, what church do you go to? Because everybody has a church they'll claim. And that'll get you started, and then you can kind of share the gospel with people. We're meant to grow. You're not meant to stay stagnant in your faith. You should be more mature in your faith now than you were last week, and you should be more mature in your faith now than you were a year ago. Now listen, we all have seasons where we fail. We have dry seasons. Some of us will have prodigal seasons where we turn and we run from the Lord. Other times we'll have seasons where it feels like everything is easy, and reading the Bible is easy, and praying is easy, and sharing our faith is, and we grow at a tremendous rate with, with the Lord. We're, we're sending a bunch of kids to, to preteen camp and to children's camp next week, and I promise you there will be some there that week that will feel like that's just a new spiritual high form, and it'll be great, and it's awesome, and it's a good season of life for us to encourage. But it's not sustainable. Over the course of your life, That's the trajectory we look for. We're going to have good seasons. We're going to have bad seasons. But by and large, we slowly continue to grow in the Lord. So what are the the cancers? What are the things within our culture that are going to hinder us from spiritual growth? Believe it or not, largely around us is this idea of a works-based salvation that's a cancer within the church. Largely, our community is a blue-collar community. There's a few of us who work in the offices and air conditioners. Whoop, whoop. Everybody else is not. But one of our idols, one of the things that we hold to, one of our values, and it's a good value, is you work hard. You work for what you get. You don't be lazy. You don't, you don't be sought. You work for what you get, and you get what you work for. That's one of the values that we teach. It's one of the values I teach my kids, and I want them to know that. But that does not work with salvation, and we have to draw a distinction. You cannot be good enough, and you cannot work hard enough to outdo your sin and to earn your way to the Lord. And if we think that we can, it's a cancer that spreads within the church. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. One of the cancers, one of the things that causes churches to not grow is this uh, rampant idea of individualism. 
love Texas, love being an individual, and it's healthy for us to take ownership of who we are individually and do those things. However, if you read the Bible and you look at Scripture, there's a whole lot of y'alls and not a lot of you. That we belong to a body of believers. That if we're Christians, we represent the kingdom of God to the kingdoms of the world. Now, the kingdom of God is, is it's completely here, the crowd, but it's just not, it, it's here, but it's not yet here. It's, it's not fully been inaugurated. When Jesus comes back, we'll see the kingdom of the Lord. He will be the king, whether you want to own it or not. He is king. He will rule. He will reign. But up until this point, what the Lord has done is he has established all of these churches that he sent all across the world to be these lampposts that stand strong and point people to this kingdom. One of the things that happens in, in Scurry County in Ira is this idea of I can be a Christian by myself. I don't need anyone else. That's not true. That's not how God has wired you to do it. You think you can. But that's not going to work. God saved you to himself and to brothers and sisters in Christ. And so hear this. You need the church, and the church needs you. We'll get into it. I did a lot of, I got to do a lot of reading this last week, and so I read some really good books on uh, spiritual gifts is a conversation that we'll have as we walk through 1 Corinthians. Not controversial at all. Everybody believes the exact same thing. That's sarcasm. But one of the things that's very clear with spiritual gifts is it's given to people to be used in the church to edify and equip and to build up and to encourage one another. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. You need the church, and the church needs you. Moralism is something that often hinders our ability to grow in our faith. It's this idea that I can be good enough. I'm a good person. I don't, I don't cuss around children. I don't, uh, or especially in the past, when I know that somebody's a pastor. That's my favorite one. Come golfing with me and watch what happens. It happens every time. We'll go golf. There'll be people who will cuss them. They'll be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm a pastor. I'm like, oh, well, I don't ever cuss. I'm like, I heard you, man. Moralism is this idea that you're good, that you can be good enough to earn your way to God, that God's going to look at you and he's going to see, you know what? That's just a good old boy right there, and I'm just going to take him up with me. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says we rebel against God. That we might do good things, and that's only because God has a common grace on us to just, not to just wipe us all out completely and fully. That, that you're not good enough. But Jesus is. Jesus is good enough, and Jesus is enough. There's this idea within Christian circles that, that the gospel is supposed to be, make you feel good. There's this therapeutic idea to Christianity that infiltrates churches all the time. That if I believe in Jesus, if I trust in Jesus, if I follow after the gospel, then I'm not going to have any more wounds. That all of my wounds that I do have are going to be healed and I'm not going to feel that pain anymore. That life is going to be easy. It's going to be cotton candy and rainbows until Jesus comes back. Amen. It's not the case, is it? Sometimes we think if we join the church, if we follow Jesus, then, then everything that I have outside, everything is just going to be smooth sailing. 
Man, the reality is when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Lord is going to send you through some things. I firmly believe he will send you through those things so that other people can watch how you live out the gospel in the midst of what the chaos sends. Because in the end, Jesus is enough to fill all of your needs. Nothing else can. There's this idea called deism that infiltrates the church. You may not know the name, but I know you've heard the idea. The idea of deism is that God is like a watchmaker God, like the old school watches, not digital watches, where you would get the watch, you would set it all up, you would hit play or pull whatever levers and stuff, and the watch would start ticking, and then you would shut it, you would set it on a shelf, and you would step away and just let it run its course. And so the idea of deism is that God created the world, that he is God, that he's over all of the world, that he set it all up, and then he just kind of stepped away and is letting humanity run things out however they're going to run it out. That God is real, but he's just not present. Brothers and sisters, it's a far lie. The enemy would love for us to believe that. That's not the case. He's not absent in your life. He's not absent in our life. He sends us and places us where he places us for a purpose and for a reason. He is God beyond Sunday morning. One of the things that hinders spiritual growth within churches is this idea of, of conversion. That I believe, especially in our part of the world, we have to be very careful about this. That God absolutely does save sinners, 100%. But I am afraid that some of us have become convinced that we are believers in Jesus, but really we believe in Jesus just to make somebody else happy and not because the Lord saved us. That true conversion matters. See, the interesting thing with all of those examples that I, I, I kind of looked through, works, individualism, moralism, therapy, deism, and true conversion, is if we cling to those things, they hinder growth in the gospel, and that's what the world believes. The world believes that by works you can be saved. You can make your life better. The world believes that it is about me or maybe my immediate family or my group of people, that I don't have to care about anybody else. It's just this group that I need to matter about. And the world believes that you can be good enough. Now, they're going to define good in all sorts of different ways, in all sorts of chaotic and horrendous ways, but you can be good enough. The world believes that you should feel good about yourself. And you just, man, look at the medical industry or just anything else. Uh, Self-care is now a thing. That I just, I just need all of these candles to make myself feel good. Morgan's not here to hear that, but she'll listen to it later. A lot of the world will believe in a God. There, there are atheists who do not believe in a God, but if you hear somebody say they're agnostic, it doesn't mean they don't believe in God. It believes they believe in some kind of God. They just don't know enough to know about that God. Most people will tell you if you do a survey across the world that they believe in a God. They just don't believe the God is personal and intimate in their life. In our part of the world, there's a ton of people that will tell you that they are Christians. But I'm afraid if you delve deep into what they believe, they're not actually believers in Jesus Christ. But our response to those things shows the gospel power. Our response to works is to point out, no, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It's the foolishness of the cross that God uses. Our response to individualism is, it's great and it can be easy to be on our own. And it's hard to belong to a body of believers, especially with people like us. Amen. We are hard to get along with, right? No? Okay. 
I know I am hard to get along with. I get so mad at myself. It's the foolishness of the cross that can bind us together. We can't be good enough that Jesus is good enough. That's, that's what the cross tells us is that Jesus was good enough to cover for us, that, that all of our needs can be filled with Jesus, not our therapy that we're seeking somewhere else, that, that God is not distant, that God is present and that he is active in our lives on Sunday morning and on Tuesday morning too when we wake up. And the true conversion, true salvation is a miraculous work that the Lord does within us. All of those are responses to the gospel. All of those prove the claim that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God to us who are being saved, sanctified. So what we must look at with this passage of scripture is our lives and see, are we growing in the Lord or are we being stagnant? Are we able to eat steak or are we still drinking formula? Brothers and sisters, what Paul encourages the Corinthians and what he encourages us is it's time to grow up. Wherever we're at, it's time to grow up. We, we could have matured in the Lord and been running great. And, and what the word from Paul, the, the, Lord from, uh, the Lord tells Paul to us would be keep growing. Don't, don't stop. Keep on that path. For some of us, it'll be, man, you've gone stagnant. You haven't been doing the things that you need to be doing. Now is a great day to recommit and to continue growing in the Lord spiritually and being sanctified by God. So let me finish with this list of things that if you will do these things, the Lord will grow you, and it's proven time and time again. Read your Bible daily. You don't have to read through it in a year. You don't have to, sometimes that's hard. I get that. Like there's this pressure to check these things off the list. What I try to do in my life is I'll say, I'm going to read scripture before I check my phone. That's an attainable goal I can do every day. doesn't matter how busy my day is. Read the Bible daily. We believe that this is the inerrant, infallible word of God that he has given us that tells us everything we need to know about God. Not everything we need to know, but everything we need to know about God. Spend time in the word daily. Pray multiple times a day not just when you stub your toe and pray for others we'll, we'll talk about it at the, the members meeting tonight but I have a few things that I'm hoping will encourage us to pray for others be a church member find it, mean, maybe this isn't the church for you that's okay, find a church plug in, commit, serve and be served the goal here is not for you to come and to be entertained. The goal is for you to plug in and to serve. We have a very limited window that the life that the Lord has given us. Let's use it for the Lord together. Be at church services, especially Sunday morning. I can't tell you how beneficial. One of the things we will go on vacation, we make sure we go to a church service, not just because I'm a preacher, but because I want my kids to understand this is valuable and it's edifying to our souls. And we have been to some church services that were rough. Never mind. I have a really funny story that I did later, but I don't think it's appropriate here. Just go. There's always something beneficial that you can learn and see that there are believers in Jesus Christ. This is what we told our kids this week. Like, we're going to church. We're like, yes, we're going to church. And we drove by a bunch of guys fly fishing, and you don't know the temptation I had to pull over and go do it with them. But we kept on going. We made it to Angel Fire, ironically named Angel Fire, when there's a whole lot of people that weren't at church. And the conversation we had with our kids was, we're going here because I want you to know that there's believers here too. 
that Christianity, it isn't just an Ira thing, and it isn't just a Texas thing. We were in New Mexico. Do you know there's Christians in New Mexico? Find a church and just go visit. Share your faith. This one's hard. It can be so intimidating when we try to share our faith with somebody else. But it's vital. You don't have to be like go knock on a stranger's door and be like, you're going to go to hell if you don't turn to Jesus. That's not what we mean. Invest in somebody. Pray for somebody. I know the last couple of weeks there's been some families that the Lord has sent through things. It's been some people's ones. One person that God has given them to pray for and pray that the Lord would use to bring to Christ. And that the Lord has sent those families through some hard times. And you've been able to minister to those people. That's sharing your faith with them. I feel like I'm going to strike the chord here and step on toes. Listen to theologically rich songs. Can I tell you a secret? And it may make you mad at me. It's okay. Most of the ones on the radio aren't worth listening to. If you listen closely, listen for songs that tell you about Jesus, that share the gospel with you, that use the name Jesus in the song. Encourage one another in the faith. We understand life can be extremely hard, can't it? What a better way you can minister to other people, whether they're believers or unbelievers, than just with a loving text message saying, hey, I'm praying for you and I care about you. Lastly, confess your sin daily to the Lord, and if you've sinned against somebody else, confess it to others. 1 Corinthians is about unity in the gospel. And you and I are good at sinning, which means you and I will sin against the Lord primarily, but we will secondarily sin against other people too. And one of the most mature things that you and I can do if we're growing in the Lord is to confess that sin to God and then to confess that sin to somebody else and ask for an apology. Not ask, apologize. (laughs) I sinned against you. You should apologize to me. That's bad. Don't do that. But to repent to lean into the gospel and to watch how the Lord will forcefully sometimes and easily other times grow you in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Help us not to miss that you have given us today, that it is not something that we're promised. God, we don't know when when you will come back. We don't know when all of this ends. All we know is that you have placed us here now to believe in you and to grow in you more and more. So God, any unbelievers that are here this morning, I pray that you would help them to understand, God, that, that we are not promised tomorrow. We're not even promised today. But God, this, this sounds crazy and it sounds difficult and it sounds hard. It sounds like foolishness. Help them to understand it is true power to believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would save them. That they would repent, that they would believe in you. God, that we would get to baptize them and then we would get to disciple them and help them in that sanctification process and that they could join the church and help us to grow. God, for the believers who are here, Wherever we're at in our life, God, some of us are on spiritual highs right now, and some of us are on spiritual lows, and some of us are just numb to everything, kind of going through the motions. I pray that you would help us to understand that spiritual growth isn't something like physical growth. 
that you've given us your word, that you've given us your spirit that dwells within us to grow us. Help us to lean into your gospel more and more. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the finished work of the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand, Vince is going to lead us in a song of response.